Lord, we do pray as Dwayne has prayed that uh, as we look forward to this new year that we would uh, walk with you consistently and that we would uh, see you in everything and that we might have an eternal perspective. We might look at things differently from those around us, particularly the unbelievers, that we would in fact store up treasures in heaven and would in fact uh, live differently from the rest of the world. And as we look at this uh, idea that you've revealed concerning yourself, that it would uh, encourage us and give us stability and insight into how to better live the lives that we live every day. So we commit our time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today, I thought we'd take a break from our normal Roman study and talk a little bit about one of the most, well, the most important areas, talking about God himself. What is he like? And if you remember, we did this kind of on occasion like this in between kind of a, a break from the normal study that we were doing. I don't remember the last time, but we talked a little bit about the nature and perfections of God. So I'd like to focus on that again. And uh, we're looking at what are called the perfections of God. I describe them as perfections. We have attributes. God has perfections. Our attributes are finite imperfect, limited, and God's attributes are perfect in every way. Perfect, infinite, and without any mixing of sin as is so prevalent in our lives. And just kind of a quick review of perfections in general to get us into this area today, which I'd like to talk about God's eternality. God is eternal. What does that mean? It's hard to conceive of. But hopefully we'll try to see what the scripture gives us insight concerning. And one of the things that we've talked about, and I'll mention some of the other perfections that we've already looked at, all of them are perfect. That's why we call them perfections. We've already looked at what I've described as self-existence. Remember that study? God's self-existence, what does that mean? Always was. Always is, always will be. Well, that's eternality. No needs. God is self-contained, you might say, self-existent in himself, not dependent on anything. He does not need the universe. He did not have to create. In fact, eternality tells us that he existed before there was a universe, before there was anything. And when he existed in eternity past... He didn't uh, have a need for creatures to love him. He didn't have need for a universe to uh, take up his time. He has no time. So he is self-existent. We also looked at, what was the other one? Immutability. And these I described as incommunicable attributes. Incommunicable what is something that is communicable, like a disease? A disease is what? My husband's not here today because he has a communicable illness. He didn't want to pass on to us. And so a communicable attribute are those attributes that, that God contains or God has, but he has communicated them or built them into us when he created us in his image. Those are communicable attributes. 
So the incommunicable attributes are those that he did not communicate to us, like self-existence. We have many needs. God has no needs. So these are more difficult to understand because it's hard to conceive of a being that has no needs, self-contained, doesn't need anything. Omnipresence. Omnipresence, okay. So we are not self-existent. God is the only one. It's incommunicable. God is immutable, and that means that he does not change. He does not grow. He does not learn. He does not change. That means his plan is stable, and the things that he's told us that he's going to do, he's going to accomplish, particularly those things that have not taken place yet. So God is immutable. And then the other one you said, honey, was God is omnipresent. We are finite and limited and located, you might say. And God is omnipresent in that he is everywhere at every moment in all of his fullness. So we talked about it as well. There was one other one that I'm trying to remember. No, he's given us power. Not all. No, well, he hasn't given us all of anything. We are finite, but that would be a communicable attribute, omnipotence. Well, totally God is incomprehensible. And that may have been all of them. There are not that many of them. Another one is eternality. So all of these are perfect. And particularly when you think in terms of the communicable attributes, all of those are perfect. He's granted to us love. God is love. And we have a finite measure and a capacity to relate to one another in love. But God is obviously perfect in his love. And these perfections are not a part of God. You know, several parts, you might say, that you can separate out. But they are what God is in his total nature. We also said he is more than the sum of the perfections. Some of the, there might be some perfections that he has not revealed to us. Because he's infinite, we are finite and can only understand a small amount of information. So he is omniscient. Omniscient. Knowing. We're not all knowing, but he is infinite in his understanding of knowledge. That's another communicable attribute because he's given us intellect and the ability to know. It's a communicable attribute, but his is perfect and infinite. But the sum of all of these perfections are not the total picture of who God is. In fact, there may be perfections of God that he retains to himself that we may never know. In the millennial kingdom, he may reveal others, make others come to light. And in fact, the Bible progressively reveals different aspects of the nature of God. They're known only through revelation. Only through revelation. In fact, in their completeness, to the extent that we can understand, they're known only by revelation. So if we don't get into scripture, we will always have a distorted view of God. We will never have a good or accurate view of God unless we think through what scripture has revealed. So it's important that we look at what the Bible reveals. And they describe the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit equally. We believe in the Trinity, and if the Trinity speaks of God as uh, one and yet existing in three persons, 
then uh, each of the three persons are members of the Trinity and each have all of these perfections. Now you have to keep in mind Philippians 2. When Jesus came from the Father, Philippians 2 tells us that he set aside his access or the availability of these attributes. He set them aside. He didn't relinquish them. He was fully God, fully man at the same time without giving up those perfections, but he did limit himself in terms of access. And in fact, he makes statements, for example, that the second coming, no man knows, not even the Son, not even Jesus in his earthly existence knew when he would return, but only the Father. So he had limited his omniscience to that that any other human being could avail themselves of. That's why he studied scripture. So, but in essence, all of these apply to the Father, the Son, and then we would also include the Holy Spirit. So we're talking about the perfections of God. So let's take a look at one other perfection. We might describe it as eternality. This is an incommunicable attribute. Now, there are some aspects that we might say that he's given to us. So it's kind of a transition from incommunicable to communicable attributes because we do have, in some sense, eternality looking forward, but we don't have eternality in the full sense that God is eternal in the past, God has always existed, and God is eternal in the future. And we'll talk a little bit about that as well. So let's talk about God's eternality. And first of all, just a writer that does an excellent job of describing not only perfections, but other biblical principles. A.W. Tozier says the following, The idea of endlessness is to the kingdom of God what carbon is to the kingdom of nature. So he's kind of trying to visualize it using comparison. As carbon is present almost everywhere, as it is an essential element in all living matter and supports all of life with energy, so the concept of everlastingness is necessary to give meaning to any Christian doctrine. Indeed, I know of no tenet of Christian creed that could retain its significance if the idea of eternity were extracted from it. Now, he's not describing it so much as he's kind of given us something of its importance, you might say, or its significance, that eternality has an endless aspect to it. So that's kind of one idea of eternality. Simply stated, we could say God forever exists. A real simple description of eternality. And his existence is outside of time. In fact, we have a hard time conceiving of eternality because it's different from time. You got the email I sent you. What was the question I asked? Is eternality just lots of time? I would have to say probably not. I don't think we can totally conceive of what eternality is. We think in terms of time, in other words, the progress of events, one second, the next second, one day, the next day, the next month, etc. We kind of think of sequence. Eternality does not necessarily have sequence, if you will. That seems to be putting some of the scriptures together. God exists forever. 
scripture that uh, today is a thousand, thousand years ago. Yeah, that's a comparison to kind of give us a feel for God dealing in time. And it deals more, it doesn't deal so much with eternality, it deals more with the way God works and the time frame that he operates from. Okay? Holding outside of Yeah, he's outside of, outside of time. So, forever exists outside of time. Simple description of it. So, everlastingness, in other words, what is assumed is not only the ongoing of time and the time frame, but I think time has a beginning and has an end, and there's an everlastingness that goes beyond. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth, and beyond the last event, the creation of a new heavens and a new earth after this heavens and this earth are gone. So he exists outside of time. Outside of time. So it's hard to conceive. Every analogy, including Tozier's analogy, breaks down. Another analogy I've heard, it's it's God. It's like if you were on a 12-story building, downtown Albuquerque or wherever. Is there a 12-story? This is one. 15. What's the highest one? Two or three. You're on top. You're looking down at a parade. And the parade is analogous to the creation of the universe. You see the beginning of the parade, and you see the beginning of it going down Central Avenue. You also, from that perspective, see the end. So you see everything, the beginning, the end, everything in between and even beyond. That's just an analogy, but it breaks, you know, obviously it breaks down. So God is like on that 12-story building, looking down, seeing everything in his omniscience. He knows everything, and he sees everything. But in terms of the parade, he sees the beginning of it, and he sees the end and everything in between. So there's no sequence for him. It's all one picture, all one viewpoint, if you will. So he's outside of time. Personally, now this isn't totally clear in Scripture, but I believe the universe is within time, and time is part of the creation. In the beginning, that's the beginning of time, and then... The last event that's recorded is the end of, of time as we know it. So another way of looking at it is God is free when it comes to any limitation of time. And obviously we are not free in that sense. We are limited to time. Our days are numbered. And depending on our health, shortened or lengthened if we are healthy, but we have a finite number. In fact, the scriptures indicate God knows that number. He determines that number. In fact, he is the one that brings it to beginning and to end. So he is outside of it, therefore free from any limitations, not limited by time. So when we pray, that this is an application you can draw, God, I like to kind of kid about it, but God likes to do things at the last minute. I don't know if you've noticed, (laughs) but he will wait, usually developing patience in us. And just when we think everything is totally lost, he will intervene. Seems to wait to the very last minute. He procrastinates, does he? (laughs) No, because he's outside of time. From our perspective, it almost seems like God just waits and waits and waits. And that's where that passage that uh, you you brought up uh, is applicable. Pardon me? What you're speaking reminds me that God can change the number of our days and the days of 
I'm not sure that he changed it. I think he changed the physical universe that caused more rapid degeneration. What you're saying about how he saw that last month, I'm convinced that it's because no one can credit who belongs to God as your Lord. Because you come up with that solution, you have the thought in the crash. And I just think that's the thing. And you can't set the time either. Yeah. No. But you can't take his glory because if there's no other way looking at it other than to say God did that. Exactly. Very good. Very good summary. Kind of our last description here, God is the creator of time. And that's why I believe that it's part of the creation is because within the creation we have that Bereshit, the Hebrew word in the beginning. Uh, one word in the Hebrew that describes in the English, what is it, in the beginning, three words. So he is the creator of time. So we can't even conceive of what it's like to exist outside of this time. And yet we will spend eternity with him. Those that know him, those that don't know him will spend eternity apart from him, which the Bible describes as a uncomfortable place, right? Some descriptions from theologians. W.G.T. Shedd, the eternity of God is his essence. As related to duration, it is duration without beginning, without end, and without succession. Now, duration relates to time, and I think he's outside of duration as well. So I might quibble a little bit with Shedd's description there. But without beginning, without end, and without succession is a good description. Another theologian, Hodge, he does not exist during one period of duration more than another. No distinction between past, present, and future. Kind of that picture on a 12-story building looking down and seeing the totality. So there's no distinction in relation to God in terms of time. And again, he's outside of time. A couple of passages that we can look at. Some kind of key passages that describe eternality. Psalm 90, verse 2. And again, You can't describe it, so you compare it, and that's what the psalmist is doing. Remember, this is imagery. Psalms are poetic, so you have more imagery, more comparisons, more analogies. So he uses, before the mountains were born, and when we look out and see the Sandia Crest, looks like it's been there a long time. Before it was there, the psalmist says, or thou didst give birth to the earth, We look at the earth and think it almost looks eternal, but the earth has a beginning. So before the earth, you give birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting. You can translate that from eternity to eternity. Thou art God. He always is. That's why he describes himself in Exodus 3. What does he say there to Moses at the burning bush? He is the what? He is the ever existing one, the I am. Jesus picks that up in the Gospel of John, or at least John describes Jesus as the I am. He's the ever-existing Father, you might say, God. He is equal with God, the ever-existing one. And then he says, I am the bread of life. I am what? Resurrection. Resurrection of life. And life. I am what else? Mm -hmm. 
truth. The vine. The vine. You are the branches. I am the truth. He is the ever-existing truth. He is the ever-existing resurrection. He is the ever-existing bread. All of the I am's. That's what Jesus is, indicating that he is fully God. So he is everlasting, or from eternity to eternity, everlasting to everlasting. Another psalmist, 93.2, thy throne, in other words, God's actions or God's rulership, thy throne is established from of old, now that's within time, thou art from everlasting, in other words, you transcend your throne and your time. You exist before, your throne has always existed, you are sovereign over all things. In your sovereignty, you could say, God created a finite universe. A universe that's hard for us to conceive of in terms of its size, dimensions. God is bigger because he's the creator and exists outside of it. So thy throne is established and he rules over the universe. From a bold thou art everlasting. If you want some New Testament passages, key ones, 1 Timothy 1.17. Now the king eternal... So he's eternal ruler, just like the psalmist says. So also 1 Timothy 1.17. He's invisible, the only God, and we can honor him, be honor and glory forever and ever. In other words, into eternity. God will be glorified into eternity. This lifespan, the time that we have here, is so short, so insignificant in, com- in comparison of what God has outside of time. Romans 16:26. We might get there in five years or so. The last part of the verse, according to the commandment of the eternal God, the God that exists always and forever exists. And uh, we might describe some of his perfections on your outline sheet. Uh, we were looking at the es- his essence and some of the scriptures relating to that. But in terms of perfections, you go down all of the perfections, but there's some of them are related to everlasting in some of the scriptures. So I made a list of a few of them. His name, and when we speak of God's name, what do we speak of? Not something that identifies him. That's how we use names. But what, Connie? The entirety of who he is, his personhood. In other words, God himself. Who wants to look up Psalm, can you see that? Psalm 135, 13. His glory, his name is eternal. His glory is eternal. Somebody look up uh, Psalm 104, verse 31. You got it? Which one do you want? Okay, somebody got 135? Got it, David? Russ has it? Okay. You got 104, David? Or you got 104? Alright. How about Exodus 15, 18? Tommy, you want to do that one? And somebody gets Psalm 111, 3. Karen's got that one. David, why don't you do Psalm 100, verse 5? And by the way, these are just a few passages and just a few of the perfections you might say. When you speak of his name, you're speaking of his character, his nature, his perfections in a broad overall sense. And what does Psalm 135.13 say? You got that one, Russ, right? Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your renown, O Lord, throughout all ages. Your name, your renown, or your famousness, Mm -hmm. 
endures forever. So his name is an eternal name. His nature, his personhood is eternal. And his glory is similar to the name in that when we speak of his glory is something of the composite of his perfections or looking at the totality of what he's revealed concerning who he is. The totality of his perfections. Psalm 14431. Dwayne, you got that one? May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in it. Okay, may the glory of the Lord endure forever. Eternality of the total composite of the perfections of God. What about his sovereignty, Exodus fifteen eighteen? You got that one, Connie? Sovereignty is authority and rulership. May he reign forever and ever. So his reign, and we saw the other passages, the other Psalms, that indicated eternality in terms of sovereignty and rulership. His righteousness. By the way, these are just a few of them, just samples. I'll give you the indication All of the perfections of God are not only perfect, but eternal as well. Psalm 111.3, got that one, Karen? His work is honorable and glorious. His righteousness endures forever. His righteousness, what? Endures forever. And or is eternal. His loving kindness. Now, this relates directly to you and I because... God has bestowed loving kindness. This is covenant love. He's entered into a relationship with the believer. And how does that going to end up? You got it, David? The Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And his truth endures. Say the word that's translated there, mercy, in New American Standard, is the Hebrew word chesed. And most of the translations translate it loving kindness. So it has has kind of a broad range of meaning. Mercy would be included in that. That's why the translators chose that one in that context. Loving kindness. And this is how he acts to us. He has entered into an everlasting, eternal covenant, you might say. A committed love that will never end. That endures into eternity. That should give us great security. His works... And you got, hmm, Connie? Under his perfection, you're fine. Um, On the outline sheet? Yeah. So I, I think I gave, that's kind of a bonus. Oh, yeah. yeah, a bonus scripture. You want to read it? First Peter what? 5.10. First Peter 5.10. Yeah, sometimes put the slides together and disregard my outline sheet. But may the God of all us to after you have some while, effect strengthens him. Okay, his eternal glory. And that was First Peter 5.10. So you can add that one. Like I said, there's lots of scriptures. I've just given you a sampling here. What about his works? I'll put his word as a category there. And somebody pick out Psalm 117.2. David, do you want to do that one? Ephesians 3.11, his purposes... The things that God has purposed to accomplish. Karen's got that one. His covenants. What he has said that he will do and has legally bound himself. That's what a covenant is. It's Genesis 9.16. Connie's got that one. That's the Noahic covenant. But there's verses that tie God's eternality with the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant as well. But we'll use Genesis 9.16 as an example. 
The gospel, the work of salvation, is an eternal work, so we are secure in it. Dwayne, do you want to get that one? Revelation 14.6 describes the gospel as eternal. And related to that, the salvation that we have, again, giving us assurance that we do not lose salvation because of 2 Timothy 1.9. It's got it. We'll save that one. And the kingdom, there's an eternal rulership. We've already seen that. But his kingdom... We have a passage that relates it to the kingdom, Psalm 29, 10. Psalm 172, his word. And there's lots of these. By the way, if you read through Psalm 119, this is kind of a recurring theme in Psalm 119, but also here in Psalm 117, verse 2. You got it? For his merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Praise you, the Lord. The truth of the Lord which is contained in his word. His word is truth. He endures forever. His purposes, Ephesians 3.11. We looked at this last time from the book of Romans. You got that one, Karen? According to the eternal purpose. Eternal purpose, which what? He accomplished in Jesus, Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, an eternal purpose. It's going to be an unchanging. Remember when we talked about immutability? We said that his purposes are immutable. What he has set out and revealed that he's going to accomplish will, in fact, come to pass. Because it's eternal. It's outside of time, you might say. Now, he's going to accomplish it within time, but there's an eternal aspect to it that gives it certainty and gives us security. The covenant, and this is the Noahic covenant given to Noah, Genesis 9.16, the rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look everlasting to God and every living creature of all flesh. An everlasting covenant, the Noahic covenant. Does God need to be reminded? Every time he sees the, the uh, rainbow, he says, oh, oh i got to stop this storm. Now I remember. <laughs> I remember my promise and my covenant. Or as the writer using kind of language from the human perspective, we call that a what? You got it? Anthro, anthropomorphism, where the writer, we do this as well. I mean, we give human characteristics to non-humans. Do what? Dogs. We talk back, we talk to our dogs. We go, oh yeah, and then we give them a voice, things like that. Yeah. Yep. And even inanimate objects as well. We use anthropomorphisms today. There's lots of them in the scriptures. Because you cannot accurately, particularly in... Passages that are very uh, poetic, you might say. Uh, You can't do justice to who God is. So you have to use things that are familiar to try to describe him. So it's not that God forgets and has to be reminded with a rainbow. It's more that that rainbow reminds you and I that God made this covenant. And he describes it in verse 16 as an everlasting or eternal covenant. How about the gospel, an eternal gospel, Revelation 14, 6? Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel on the earth. Every nation cries unto An everlasting gospel, eternal gospel. And do you know the context of that passage and the time frame? I think all of you, or most of you do. Part of a period of time described as the tribulation that's coming. Maybe around the corner. 
The rapture may be soon. A seven-year period of time where God is going to make clear his gospel to those that are living in that time frame. There's going to be lots of judgments, lots of catastrophic events, but one of the only positive things during that seven-year period of time is the gospel message. Even so evident that in this passage that we're looking at, Revelation 14.6, even an angel during the tribulation, so that there will be no doubt that God is king, God is sovereign, God is who he is, and that people still have an opportunity. And even in that, people will raise their fists and reject him and want their own way. So, eternal gospel. God to think that there's an angel floating around giving you this message, and you still reject it? Like, yep. where the heck do you think it came from? How do you think it's going along? Well, it just blows my mind. We could say that today, where God makes himself evident to people, and they still reject his, his gospel message. Similarly, what do you say? He gives you a comfort that that we will share the fear of rejection. He rejected Jesus when he yep. or an angel like, what am I to accept? Very good. When he was on earth, he, he was rejected, and yet he demonstrated that he was fully God. There you go. Karen, you got your answer. Salvation itself, that's the outcome of the gospel message. David's got it. Second Timothy one nine. You have saved us and called us with a holy calling not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Before. So this is before creation. This is into eternity. So salvation was planned knowing your name. Those of you that have trusted, he knew you. In fact, when we get back to Romans, we're going to talk about the concept of foreknowledge. What does that mean? We'll have to spend some time looking at that. But here is... 2 Timothy 1.9, before the creation, God already set in motion. Before the fall of man, he already had a plan to save. And we are in that plan because it's an eternal salvation. Then the kingdom, Psalm 29.10, I don't think we got it. You got it? Yeah. Connie's got it. The Lord sits as king forever. Eternal kingdom, eternal Rulership, looking at the outworking of what God does. So, that is the eternality of God. Any comments or questions? Because this is kind of the end of it. We can draw some applications. The eternality of God. What? Let me ask you, what might be some ways that we can apply that? I've got some ideas that I'll share, but some of you probably have some ideas. What? What should this do for us, knowing that God is eternal? Well, one is that... Uh, and that his said, plan is eternal, etc. He said, do not, uh, do not store up treasures on earth, but uh, store up your treasures in heaven. Very good. It's so easy to get caught up with the today and the now and kind of forget what's going to, you know, what's really going to be important. Yeah, what's important. Yeah. Yeah, everything that we get now, everything we buy now, second law of thermodynamics is going to act on it. Remember what we talked about that? And eventually it's going to be burned up. And it's usually going to wear out before even our lifetimes. Uh, David? I think Paul puts it into perspective as well. He says these light afflictions are but for a moment. Right. 
things you're experiencing now, God is in control of all these things. Also Romans 8.18 that we looked at, the beginning of that major section, where the sufferings, in other words, the the troubles that we have now are going to end. Because we're in time, they're going to end. God's going to bring an end to them. But there's other things that are far more important, and we can focus on that. So it should encourage us in the midst of suffering. Anything else? That's a good good application. Because God is eternal. Um, it helps us to be certain that he's got it all. Yep. And we pray, pray, say, when is it ever going to happen? Come on, God. Come on, God. Yeah, what are you waiting for? Right, right. Um, <laughs> and he's, he's telling you, I'm waiting for the last minute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're in the middle of the parade. Go ahead. So it seems like uh, that's time. Yeah. Procrastinating, but I think it also gives us perfect how there is no need to rush. When there are, I'm, many times when I'm in a rush, it's the verse. Like, day has a terrible enough for itself. For itself. And it could, could kind of, but like, it's a strong reminder, like, God does not rush. He's telling you not to. Exactly. Very good. We don't need to rush things. We don't need to push our agenda. We can wait on on God to accomplish what he's going to accomplish. Very good. Any other applications? These are all very good. In fact, some of them were some I was going to suggest. Uh, The main one I was going to suggest is we ought to, in everything that we do, have an eternal perspective. And it relates to Possessions, as you were mentioning, storing up treasures in heaven because everything else is going to pass away. But an eternal perspective concerning the use of time and using the time that we have to best glorify God because that's the only thing that lasts. It's the only thing that's going with us into eternity. All the earthly things are insignificant. Any others? I would say for me, it would be that last. The stability of his eternal love. Very good. And by the way, there are passages that indicate that as well. Very good. There's a one by first waste your life and they begin to hate. Don't waste your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's like word and his hug and his father you have something like this that one does. Um, only one life will pass. Very good. Only one life will soon be passed. Only with Christ. Only what's done in Christ will last. Very good. Very good saying. Well, we could talk about his infinity, but essentially all of his attributes are infinite, free from all limitations, not just the limitations of time, but all limitations. God is infinite. All perfections are infinite. His love is infinite. His mercy, his patience All is infinite. He's absolutely perfect. Infinitely perfect, his infinity. Few verses, 1 Kings 8, 27. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain thee. Because his omnipresence is what? Infinite. How much less this house which I have built. This is Solomon after he built the the magnificent temple recognizing that that temple is finite, will not contain God. God is infinite. Psalm 145.3, Great is the Lord and highly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. In other words, it has no ends. You can't get to the end of it. You can't search it out and find anything that ends it. That's his uh, 
Greatness is infinite. Job 11, 7 through 8. Can you discover the depths of God? What's the answer to that question? No, because he's infinite. Can you discover the limits of the Almighty? No, because he is infinite. If you want a New Testament verse, Romans 11, which actually quotes from the Old Testament, Romans 11, 33 to 34. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge. So his omniscience is infinite. How unsearchable, similar word, can't find the end of it. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable. Can't even conceive of them. We're too small to conceive of them. Unfathomable his ways. In other words, the things that God does. So related to time, he's infinite, he's eternal in in terms of space. He's omnipresent and it's infinite in terms of his ability, he's omnipotent, in other words, infinite power. In terms of his knowledge, he's omniscient, knows all things. In terms of his authority, we've already looked at some of these. His authority is infinite, or his sovereignty is infinite. And we describe him as how, in terms of his purity? He's infinitely pure. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. Well, can we praise him? In closing, he wants to do the honors here today. You got it? Go ahead. I was curious about reading the history. Holy Word is merciful. Or if I Amen. We'll get back to Romans next week. <laughs>